So, what he says? Well, good evening, everybody. We're so glad you're here. We are looking towards another Wednesday night to continue the discussion in the book of Revelation. And it has been, so what do you think so far? Pretty interesting. We're trying not to, we are trying not to make it sound like we are giving you all of the correct commands and know the Bible better than anybody else. Um, that is not the clue here. The clue here is as we do our research, we're going to share that research with you, hopefully without taking away the wonder of the book of Revelation, because it is amazing to think about how God gave his revealing to a man on an island just to say, here's what's happening with this book, and here's what I want you to understand. Tonight, Pastor Eric and I, who's entering now, are going to be sharing with you, we're going to be having a little discussion about the third chapter of Revelation, no, right? Am I in the right place? Yes, I am. Third chapter, because I've done that before, thank you very much. We are in the third chapter of Revelation, um, verses 1 through 6, it says for 1, and then 7 through 13, so we have actually two churches to talk about tonight. Um, one being Sardis and the other one being Philadelphia. And an interesting conversation. And I'm sure so glad you made it. I am, I apologize. I was across the street trying to print stuff out and it decided it didn't want to print it. So apparently God doesn't want me to use the notes I prepared, which is fine. Um, but this we, will be fun. This will be fun. Uh, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to Normally Bill is in complete charge of this. But since I decided we were going to go sacred cow tipping on Sunday... Uh, it felt appropriate that I would get to be there to clean up some of the mess. I didn't know. Yeah. Cool. It's going to be good times. Yeah, sacred cow tipping. Oh, the <laughs> they, they, they say that uh, sacred cow makes the best hamburger, but tastes a little funky. Um, anyway, we are going to keep going. This is recorded, isn't it? I know. You're hiding, aren't you? Okay. So let's start. Have you already prayed? No, I can tell. That you I can totally tell. Let's do that. Uh, because can I, can I just tell you, first, Jeff is home. Jeff is, uh, his dialysis is, have you already brought them up to speed? His dialysis has brought him from in the mid-sevens down to the mid-fours. Huge improvement. He's actually across the street with our kids right now. So probably needs prayer on that one. Um, we don't ever joke. I have never once cracked a joke at all, Darlene. Not once. This face... Serious. Okay. Um, let me go ahead and pray. Father God, we are so unbelievably grateful how much you love us. We're unbelievably grateful for the ways that you uh, meet us in the messiness of where we're at. How, how you don't just stand apart from the, the chaos of our world, or at least it seems like chaos, 
You enter into it. You are a God who so loves us that you are willing to get your hands messy, to hug us, to hold us, to walk with us. That is the, the peace that we feel in your love, is that you've already shown us how much you love us in the cross. And so tonight, as we grapple with some big theological questions, as we grapple with our relationship with you, and we try to define the relationship, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would be in this room. I pray that you would guide it. We pray against the enemy who would love to steal our hope and kill our joy and distract us with secondary things. Help yourself to our lives, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. All right, why don't we, why don't we begin by going back to the scriptures that we looked at this week, and we're going to read them. We'll dive into kind of the crux of the beautiful part about Wednesday. It's something that I don't normally get a chance to do with anybody other than my life group, and that is we get to lean into and press into a place or two that we didn't otherwise get to because we didn't have time in 35 to 45 minutes. Typically more like 45, huh? Okay. To the angel of Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you received and heard. Don't just remember it. Hold fast to it. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you like to read the next one? Yes! yes. <laughs> to the church in Philadelphia and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have de not, not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that, that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about your patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
So, so just, just a reminder, refresher, two churches that are very close in proximity, but the messages to those churches could not be any different, at least at first blush. The, the, the message to the first one, you seem alive. You seem lush. There's lots of foliage. You are a mega church. Lots of people are attending your services. You have lots of money. You have lots of programs. You seem alive, but you're really dead. You, there's nothing about you that is actually, you're being more discipled by and pressed in the, to the image of this world than you are pressed into my image. Or the way that we articulated it on Sunday is, they were such an innocuous church that there was no reason for the world to push back against them, which is a, a really sobering kind of uh, comment about them. The other church seemed weak. It, they, they were experiencing a tremendous amount of pushback. Believers were being told, not only are you misplacing your faith in this crucified carpenter Jesus uh, and making a real big mess when it comes to your standing against the Roman side, like, why are you making these unnecessary waves? But the Jewish population, or at least a contingent of them, were saying, you have no right to worship with us. You are not a true citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And they were locking the synagogue doors and saying, you're not welcome. And so to them, Jesus says, you might seem weak, but you're actually far stronger. You have held on to me. I'm going to hold on to you. And so that's at least kind of from an overview how the messages are different, but when we drill down into it, the core message of what Jesus is asking both of them is the same. And that's what I want us to start with tonight, just to point out. So I want us to go back to verse uh, 3. I'm sorry, we're going to start with verse 2 of chapter 3 here. So this is to the, the Christians in Sardis. His call is to wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember what um, I have, what you have received and heard. So basically, remember what I taught you, but don't just remember it. Actually, act on it. Obey it. He says it here. Hold fast to it, and repent. Turn from the way you've been walking, being shaped by the world, and begin to follow me again. So, the core of this is: wake up, remember, hold on to it, obey it, and follow me. To the church of Philadelphia, we're going to skip down to verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your victor's crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar. Do you see that in both of these messages, the same core command is to hold on to me. Don't let go. We pointed to um, Jesus's... Uh, message, but basically one of the last things he said to his disciples before he was arrested and crucified. He, he used that analogy of the vine and the branches. And I brought this in on Sunday. It was still pretty lush. Now you can tell it's pretty dead. So this is a great continued illustration. Even the fruit itself that was pretty big and lush is starting to shrivel up here. You're a vine. You're, I'm sorry, I am the vine. You are a branch. And if you abide or remain connected to me and I to you, you're going to bear fruit. It's going to naturally happen. And the fruit we talk about is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that are naturally produced when we remain connected to our Lord and Savior. Apart from me, you can't 
bear fruit. You can't accomplish anything of any lasting value. If you don't abide in me and I in you, then you're like a branch that's separated from the vine. You just wither and die. And ultimately, you're good for nothing but to be thrown on the fire and burned. That's sobering. We, we use it as an encouragement. But it's also, when you look at it from the inverse, if we don't remain connected, there is some element of concern. And this is where we, we start getting, we start butting up against uh, a sacred cow. That I grew up, this idea of once saved, always saved. Or, you know, a Calvinist would call it perseverance of the saint. Um, a, a Baptist might call it uh, eternal security. But it's basically saying the same thing. If you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, and nothing will change that. And quite honestly, as a pastor, and I know I, you can speak for yourself, but as a pastor, that's something that I preach regularly. It's something that we hold on to. And that's not necessarily a terrible thing. But then, but then you come across a verse like we have in, in Revelation chapter, chapter 5, or chapter 3, verse 5. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white, and I will never blot out that name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. And I understand that he's saying, I won't blot that person's name out. But it seems to insinuate the inverse, that if you don't, I'm going to come like a thief, and there will be a, a negative consequence. And this then raises the question, have we been mistaken by preaching on once saved, always saved? I think that one of the major issues of it is, and, and first, let us, let us clear up something real quick. And this is where I've been... All day I've been praying about this tonight's discussion. Please, please know, I did not say understand. Please know that you can disagree mm -hmm. on interpretations like this, yep. that it's possible yep. because the, the whole eternal security issues mm -hmm. that were raised by a man many, many years ago, who's a very learned scholar, the whole don't have eternal security issues were raised by another man who was a great scholar as well. Now, there are things we all know in the scriptures that we have to take not just on faith, but we have to be patient. And wait, wait is that a problem for some people? Is that what I'm hearing? Where there's an issue of the fact that there's times when we need to have faith in each other. Love one another. If you want to know the one thing that Jesus said we have to do more than anything else, that's love one another, even through these kind of discussions. And Pastor Eric and I, we have both been having this conversation since Sunday yeah. about this, the yeah. fact that we want to make Jeff. sure, and Pastor Jeff mm -hmm. has been with us the whole way. Even when he was in the hospital, we were texting and stuff, and he was saying, guys, we have to get them to understand. We got to hold on to each other. Mm -hmm. We're what we have. So, so although, yes, many years, many people have preached both sides of this coin. And that has happened. What I am concerned about, and this is what I haven't been able to share with my brother yet, but my concern is that this would become something that the enemy could use as a wedge between some very caring and loving people. And that's why we want to do that. So, yes, there are scriptures mm -hmm. that point to that. And, and I think the basic question in verse 5 there is when he says, I will not block out, blot out their name in the book of life. Does that mean, does that beg the question then, is it possible for your name 
to get blotted out. Yeah. Because that's, that's where even, even when I go back and I, I translated this verse three times, trying to find out if maybe there was a different context, different word endings, different ways of looking at it, past tense, future tense, all of those things. And it still came out the same way as this is what Jesus said. When you do this, I will not blot out your name. That's the truth. Now, do we as 21st century Christian Americans then take that to a different side? Or when somebody says, well, some people believe that they just say a prayer and it's all done, finished, that's it, kaput, we're, we're, we don't have to worry about it. Either side of that, either side of that will raise questions yeah. to the other side. Prayerfully, never to the point mm -hmm. of losing your faith, yeah. love, and compassion for one another. That's what we never want to lose. So let me, sometimes it's important to clarify, well, what, one of the things I realized on Sunday, because for the first time in a long time, I had a couple of people come up and go, Pastor, I disagree with you. Awesome. First off, thank you for telling me. Um, I am absolutely positively fine with any of you saying, ah, I'm not sure. In fact, I would hope, I would hope that whenever Bill or myself yes. or Pastor Jeff gets up here and opens God's word and tries to share with you our best take as we have prayed through it, you would not just take it as the gospel truth and so you don't have to look into it. I would hope that you act like Amen. the Bereans who were affirmed for listening to Paul as he opened the scriptures and they're rather, they were excited about it, but rather then just taking him at his word, they went back and they searched the scriptures to see if what he said was true. This is what I hope you would do as well. Because I'm an imperfect person. And I will exegete God's word imperfectly. And I am still growing in my understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I also understand the limitations of words. I understand that when I stand up here and I share a message on a Sunday... There's, there's two interpretations. There's what I intend to say and there's what you hear. And I've got to trust that the Holy Spirit is working in your hearts to speak. With. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come up to me and go, Pastor Eric, that was the most, that message spoke directly to me and here's what I heard. And then they'll say something that I never said. <laughs> and, it, it, and sometimes it's a really good point. I didn't say it, but that's what they heard. And I'm like, well, praise Jesus you heard that. <laughs> and then other times, I've had a couple of times where people are like, on, on, even on social media, oh my gosh, my pastor had the most profound thing and they'll say something that is totally theologically wrong and it was a complete misinterpretation of what I was saying. And I'm like, oh gee, like yay. Oh, All right, right? So, so for, because I have a little bit of extra time uh, with this Wednesday that it provides, I would like to take a moment to share with you the heart of what I was hoping to accomplish on Sunday as a starting point for us unpacking this. I do not have a problem if you have questions. In fact, I hope you do. And I'm going to share a couple of the questions that have been forwarded to us following Sunday because it'll help us unpack this a little bit. So the core of my message was trying to get to the point of showing us that what we are invited into is not a religion. Although Christianity itself might be a set of religious tenets, ultimately, what we are invited into as Christ followers is a relationship. And religion and relationship are two radically different things. A religion is focused on rights and rules. A relationship is focused on doing life 
with our living God. And those two things end up looking different because rights and rules can be dead. Some of the things that, um, like for instance in the first century, a religion will place hoops that people have to jump through. And Paul and the other apostles were having to constantly remind people, it's not a religion. It's not a set of hoops. But the set of hoops that people were being expected to jump through were things like, in the first century, get circumcised and follow Jewish dietary laws. Those are the hoops you got to jump through in order to be saved. And Paul is constantly saying, wait a minute. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision. It's about a relationship. It's about the way that Jesus has impacted our heart and the way that we continue to cling to him. If you turn it into simply a hoop that you have to jump through one time, that makes this a transactional religion. And at that point, you're like this branch. You might have the appearance of being alive, but you're really dead. So in the, fir in the first century, get, back, or, uh, get circumcised, follow Jewish dietary rules. In the 21st century, those religious hoops could be something like pray a prayer and get baptized. Now, I want to be very clear on this. Those are important aspects of a relationship with Jesus. Praying a prayer is crucial. In fact, Pastor Jeff was the one who asked me, Eric, it feels like when you say that, you've always said, Jesus has never said pray a prayer. He was always saying, follow me. It sounds like you have something against praying a prayer. And if that's what you've heard me say, I am sorry I have misarticulated my heart. I have absolutely nothing against praying a prayer. But I want to define the relationship. Because a lot of people will look at praying the prayer as the only hoop, as the finish line. All we need to do is share people, faith with, or share the gospel enough that somebody will pray the prayer and, oh, good, they're done. And, the, and they've crossed the finish line, and now they can go on living any way that they want. Almost punch my ticket to heaven. And that turns Christianity, or that turns following Jesus into a transactional, one-time, momentary thing. What I want to remind you, what I want to remind myself, is that the prayer that we pray is the acceptance of the invitation to follow Jesus. It is the starting line of a lifetime of following him and learning from him and being shaped by our proximity to him and searching the scriptures and saying, I don't understand, and stumbling and falling flat on our face and then being reminded, it is all by grace that I stand or I fall. And he still loves me and he is still there and he is so patient with me. And I don't deserve it, but he reminds me that Nobody deserves it. And that's what makes us a gift of grace as opposed to the wages. The only wages I've earned is death because the wages of sin is death. I have earned death for myself. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So what my hope on Sunday was, was to shift in our minds what our prayer that we pray, when we prayed it, and I hope everybody in this room and everybody who's listening to me has at some point prayed a prayer, I want to remind you that that was not the finish line where you've got your ticket to heaven stamped and now you can go on living any way that you want. That was the starting line of a, a ridiculous invitation that Jesus has given to very unworthy but very incredibly loved people. You and I are loved more than we could ever possibly fathom. We haven't earned this invitation, but he has given it to you anyway. And that invitation is this. Follow me. Walk with me. 
Learn from me. Be shaped by your proximity to me. When you stumble, rest in me. Because I love you more than you could possibly fathom. And then the rest of our life, we get to live out Jesus being our Lord and being shaped by his image. I think, and, and somebody asked me on Monday, they said, you know, it sounds like then what you're telling us is that we have to have works, that we have to keep working to keep our salvation, that we have to keep doing this, and that is not what we're getting at at all. Nope. And in fact, the words from this person were this, well, you know that it says in James that, that works are required. And I tilted my head a little bit, and it makes me stand up, and I have to be, at that point, my wife usually says to me, Bill, let's think about what you're going to say next. Mm. Because I need to in those moments. Mm. And she knows me better than anywhere. And so we're, we're, we're at the point where that I needed something, and I thought to myself, are you sure the word is required? Or once you come to Jesus... Your gratitude, your gratefulness, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of love that you feel, doesn't it then become desired to follow, to do those things, that he's, to walk in his footsteps? It's not because I'm required. Mm -hmm. It's not because I have to do it. It's a relationship that says, I love my Lord so much that if, he's, if there's a point there that I need to share him with somebody, do something, show some compassion to somebody that normally I wouldn't, I want to do it just because it's him. Not because of what he's done, just because of who he is. So it's not required, my family. It's more desired in a relationship. He, That's the difference. What, what John, or I'm sorry, what James says is faith without works is dead. And yes. that would be like saying a branch without leaves or fruit throughout the year is a dead branch, right? And, and what that's getting at is we can say, I love Jesus and I'm connected to him, but there if you your life doesn't produce any of the fruits of the Spirit, things like love, joy, peace, patience, yeah. kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, the question becomes, are you really connected? And I am not the person, by the way, to tell you whether or not you are. It's not our place Never. to say whether you have an abiding relationship with Jesus. That's between each of us. And him. But it is 100... No, you're right. I mean, that is 100% his call. He is the only yes. vote. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we were, when we were talking about the white stone? And he said, I will, I will give you a white stone with your name written on it. I find that so powerful that you have this picture of black stones basically being thrown in the thing saying guilty, you know, con condemnation. You are not accepted. You are dead. And, and Jesus says, by the way, it doesn't matter how many other people vote with a black stone. I will give you a white stone yes. with a new name that only you know. Your old identity is gone. You have a new identity in me. Jesus' opinion of us is the only one that matters. But time after time after time, and this is where I really do want you to test me. Here's where I don't want you to take mine or Bill's word for it. I want you to go back and I want you to read the Gospels. I want, to see, I want you to see the way that Jesus approaches people. What I see is in John 8, when Jesus is looking at a group of people who are coming to check him out, and he says, hey, if you are really my disciple, then you'll do what I say. Then you'll know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. In other words, if you're really my disciple, if you really have faith, then you'll follow me. And then you're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you're really my disciple, you will obey. Obedience is the response to men and women who say, I love him. I can't believe he would ever accept me, but I'm in. And are we going to obey perfectly? I will be the first to say, if that's what's required in order to be a follower of Jesus, that we obey perfectly, then I should probably tender my resignation, and I should probably never step foot into another church. Because if perfection is expected... I have failed, but I think that all of us are mature enough to recognize that we don't need Jesus because we have it all together. We need Jesus for that very reason that we don't have it all together, and our identity is in him, and our, it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works, so that none of us can beat our chests and say, I've done it. I've climbed high enough. So that's, that's the heart of this is to remind us that we live and move and breathe and operate in a sea of grace. It is grace that we even have a desire to follow Jesus. Grace when we come to the end of our rope and say, I can't do this anymore. I need help. Grace that we, ha- we even know that we can call out to him. Grace that he brings somebody alongside of us to remind us, hey, you don't have to do this on your own. Let me tell you about Jesus. Grace when we look at ourselves in the mirror and go, what? And we start, we start basically doing the enemy's job for him where we start telling ourselves, you're nothing, you're despicable, you're a failure. If anybody knew the thoughts that go through your mind, if anybody knew what you struggle with, if anybody knew what you've done, they'd want nothing to do with you. It's grace when the Holy Spirit within us reminds us, no, 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 that doesn't define you. You are my child whom I love just watching you grow into the man or woman I've created you to be brings me great joy. My heart here on Sunday and tonight is not to make us less secure in our relationship with Jesus. My heart is to remind us that we can't simply lean back and rest on a momentary decision. We can't rest on things that we've done and say, I'm good. I've stamped my ticket to heaven. And that's why on Sunday, and I want to finish tonight at least what I have to share, I want to go back to it. I would like to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 because I, I cannot find anywhere in Scripture that articulates better the posture of a disciple of Jesus Christ who recognizes that our Our life is best spent in pursuit of Jesus. A relationship is messy. A relationship is is a give and take. And a relationship means I'm committed to following. I'm committed to taking up my cross daily, not just once. And so this is what Paul says, and I think that he he sums it up better than I can, so I'm just going to read it. If anybody thinks that they have a reason to put confidence in their flesh or confidence in the things that they've done. I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I jumped through that hoop. I am from the tribe, I'm from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. Jumped through that hoop. In regard to the law, I was trained as a Pharisee. I memorized this book. Jumped through that hoop. As for zeal, 
You want to know if I'm zealous for God? Man, I persecuted the church. I presided over the first killing of the first Christian martyr. That's how zealous I am for Yahweh. Jump through that hoop. As for righteousness based upon the law, faultless. Jump through that hoop. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything I've done, my whole resume, a loss because of the surpassing worth of just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider my whole resume garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, basically not having built a stepladder of rules that I can climb into the Holy of Holies, but of which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It is by faith we have been saved, not by work so that nobody can boast. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's what I want. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, in case you didn't hear me the first time, let me say it again for those of you in the back. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, the righteousness of God, the resurrection of the dead. I don't consider myself to have arrived and have my ticket stamped. But this one thing, this one posture I keep doing, Forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, should have this type of posture, not a posture of, I jumped through that hoop and I jumped through that hoop, so I'm good. I can live any way that I want. I'm secure. But rather, if on some point you think differently that too God will make apparent to you. I love that he put that in there, by the way. If you guys happen to disagree with that perspective, God will totally make that clear to all of us, okay? Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let us live up to our identity as sons and daughters of God who have been invited into an abiding relationship where we connect deeply with him and say, my identity is found in you, not in my job, not in my bank account, not in my political balance, not in what people say about me on social media. I am yours and you are mine. And where you say go, I'm in. Let us not think that our identity is totally secure if we just break ourselves off and say, I'm going to go live any way that I want because... I'm good. I prayed the prayer. A prayer is important. It is the starting line to a lifetime of following. And you will stumble. I will stumble. There will be moments of doubt. You'll have questions. I do. Yeah, all of us. You'll, you, you will misrepresent the heart of our Father. I certainly do. 
And I am so unbelievably grateful for his grace. I'm so unbelievably grateful for his patience. And I am just astounded that the God of the universe desires relationship with us. So that's the heart of what we were trying, what I was trying to say on Sunday. Amen. This is not about a religion. This is not about a rule or a set of tenets or a theological box that we can somehow stick God in and understand him. Our God is a transcendent God that tends to transcend the boxes we try to shove him in. And the boxes that we erect when we go cherry-picking scriptures to create them, they don't limit him. All they do is limit our perception of him. And so on Sunday, what I was hoping to do is kind of break open the top of the box again and remind us what we have here is not an invitation to a religion. What we have here is an invitation to a relationship, and that is pretty stinking awesome. Yes, it is. Anything else? Yeah. I just, in, in our prayers, I've, I have found, and maybe this was my grandfather who used to say these astounding things to me. He said, son, listen, the more prayer time you spend in prayer, the more your desire grows mm. to serve Jesus. It just does. Because by listening to him, hearing him, we can give him our concerns. You can say what you want to say. But then I would encourage you to listen sometimes. Just hear him. And that's when you hear these words. Because this was profound. This was amazing. And so I'm glad. Would you let me close us in prayer? And then we'll, we'll break off the stream and break into life groups. I'm sure we've given a few little thoughts to discuss <laughs> I'm sure there's tonight. some questions out there. We would love the opportunity to process. <laughs> that's true. Father God, we just, we are so imperfect, as my brother said. And it is amazing to us. We stand amazed in your presence that you would allow us to just come into your presence so that we could know you more. You know us inside and out. Psalm 139 makes that very clear. Mm -hmm. So if something is amiss where that we feel further away, guess who moved? God, it's us. So we ask, Lord, tonight that you help us to hear your words, to to concentrate on who you are, to have that desire to live with the spirit of Jesus. To all of our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, for those who don't know you, may they see your light shining through us brighter than anything else. May the sunlight of Jesus just radiate from us to let people know, though I am perfect, I am imperfect. My God is perfect, and he loves me the way I am. Take our night this night, Father. Help us to learn more. Keep our hearts and our minds open in you as we seek to become better disciples, closer mm -hmm. to you, and fall in love with you every day even more and more. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 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 We love you. So tonight, stream.